Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series by P.H. Thompson. This is Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, the second plague, frogs. The contest between God and Pharaoh is not a contest between equals. God desires to release Israel from slavery. Pharaoh refuses. Who will win? God makes the demands. Pharaoh is to submit. He does not, so God sends the punishment he had specifically warned him about. The first plague was that the Nile was turned to blood throughout the land of Egypt. This lasted seven days. Now God tells Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. The plague was specific, frogs. It would be widespread in the whole country. It would be severe. They would be ubiquitous in every place and on every class of people. There was a time frame. They were notified in advance. It was called a plague of frogs to show this was as bad as a pestilence. There could be no mistaking that this was an act of God. Again, the instrument was Moses' staff in the hand of Aaron. Just like the first plague, he stretches out the staff over the streams, canals, and ponds of the Nile, and that is enough to make the frogs come up on the land. Aaron does so, and right on time, it happens as God said. Then for some inexplicable reason, the magicians do the same, so there are even more frogs, adding to their discomfort. Verses 8 through 15, Pharaoh cries for relief. We can read about these plagues, and some may seem worse than others. What's so bad about frogs? They don't bite. But while one frog may be annoying, thousands of frogs are distressing. There was no escape. They hopped into their homes, they hopped into their beds, they hopped into their mixing bowls. Before this plague, the Egyptians welcomed the croaking of frogs, which represented fruitfulness and coming life. But this was too much of a good thing. Heket was the ancient Egyptian goddess of fertility, related to the annual flooding of the Nile. This goddess was represented as a woman with the head of a frog. They also wore amulets in the shape of a frog and had prohibitions against killing frogs because they were sacred animals, which would add to their powerlessness when they were confronted with so many of them. They couldn't eat and drink or sleep in peace. This again showed God's power over the gods of Egypt. God controls his creatures, not Heket. Because they came from the Nile, it also showed the god Happy's inability to control his river. But like Cain, Pharaoh doesn't repent, but complains about his punishment. He knows that only the one who brought the plague, the Lord, can take it away. His own magicians had no such power. So he summons Moses and Aaron and says, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. It seems like he's giving up the fight, but this is just his first lie. His appeal to God doesn't mean he acknowledges his superiority, but he's negotiating as with an equal. Moses gives Pharaoh a small part in the relief, 
even though it would only prove that just as God brought the plague when he said he would, so he would also remove it at the set time. He says, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Pharaoh gives a specific time, tomorrow. By waiting a day, he perhaps hoped something natural would happen in the meantime, so he wouldn't have to acknowledge Israel's God. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. This was the fourth reason for the plagues. The God of Israel was superior to the gods of Egypt. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. Again, it would happen at a specific time the next day in response to Moses' prayer, and the frogs would leave their homes and people, and there would only be frogs in the Nile where they belonged. Things would return to normal. Moses doesn't wait till the next day to pray about it, but prays as soon as he leaves the presence of Pharaoh. God answers the next day, and most of the frogs inexplicably die in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. God controls the life and death of all his creatures. They weren't allowed to kill frogs themselves, but God demonstrates his power in this as well, as these frogs suddenly die in front of them. The Egyptians need to get rid of the now-dead amphibians, so they pile them into heaps, but the smell of rotting frogs is overwhelming. We're told the land reeked of them. But as soon as Pharaoh got what he wanted, relief from the punishment, he changed his mind. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Even this change of heart was a fulfillment of God's word. Verses 16 through 19, the third plague, gnats or lice. The third plague comes without any prior warning. God is not required to inform Pharaoh. He sees his heart is unchanged. The pattern is prior warning, then warning at the palace, then no warning. This would be repeated twice. They are described as gnats or lice. They were likely tiny stinging insects, barely visible to the naked eye, like Northern Ontario blackflies, midges, punkies, or noceums. Like the first plague, when God used one thing to make another, water to blood, here he uses dust to make gnats. Aaron stretches his rod out over the land and the dust becomes insects across all of Egypt. Moses stresses the word all several times to show the extent and severity of the plague. These insects attack people and animals as most do. Everyone and everything was suffering. Like the previous two plagues, the magicians tried to duplicate this one, but they were unable to. First of all, why would they want more? Second, they couldn't duplicate it or reverse it. Third, it made them acknowledge that there was something beyond their powers to control. They even went to Pharaoh with their evaluation. This is the finger of God, they said. The phrase, the finger of God, is an anthropomorphism used to demonstrate God's power intruding into human affairs. Jesus used this phrase, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. God uses, causes even his enemies to acknowledge his power. Again, this was an assault on the Egyptian god of the dust of the earth called Geb, 
But God, who created man out of the dust of the ground and returns man to dust at death, now used that same dust to demonstrate his power over all of his creation, even something as insignificant as dust. But Pharaoh was recalcitrant and unwilling to acknowledge the power of God. Verses 20 to 24, the fourth plague, flies. Moses is sent to confront Pharaoh again as he goes to the river early in the morning and say, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered with them. In the New King James Version of the Bible, God says, or else. Imagine being threatened by the Almighty God of the universe and daring to remain defiant. If they felt relief now that the earlier stinging insects were gone, here were more. Sometimes the sound associated with an insect can elicit a response in the future because of a past experience. Having been stung by hornets as a child, I would panic if I heard the buzzing sound of one later, even now as an adult. I can imagine the sound of so many flying insects everywhere, even in their homes, where they'd expect some reprieve from them. That they're referred to as swarms gives an indication of the number of insects. It's been suggested these were dogflies, which are blood-sucking insects. Like the previous plagues, an Egyptian god was challenged. This god's god was Uachit. Another god was Kepri, the Egyptian god of creation, movement of the sun, and rebirth. He was represented with the body of a man and the head of a fly. But this plague also marks a change. God differentiates between the recipients of the plague. These flies will only be on the Egyptians, but not on the area where the children of Israel live. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So this plague came with the warning as to when it would strike. They probably only had one day of reprieve between these two plagues. It's called a sign because it represents something bigger. It's not just a fluke of nature that they were in one place and not another. It represents God's knowledge of where his people are and his concern for them in not including uh, them in this particular plague. His emphasis on my people shows his personal care of them. God also explained the reason he was making this distinction. So Pharaoh would know God was in this land and he does as he pleases. This is the fifth reason for how and why the plagues were done in this manner. Like turf wars where one gang only has to cross into enemy territory to incite a fight, God was informing Pharaoh he was on Pharaoh's turf. But unlike paltry turf wars over a piece of land not even their own, God is informing Pharaoh that the whole earth is his and he will demonstrate this authority wherever he wishes. So he does. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt the land was ruined by the flies. Verses 
verses 25 to 32, Pharaoh negotiates. This fourth plague must have been particularly distressing for to Pharaoh, for he summons Moses and Aaron and seems to capitulate to God's demands. His second lie is, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. He is setting conditions on his permission so as to maintain control and not make it seem like he has been strong-armed by a greater God. He wants them to do their sacrifices while remaining in Egypt. Moses will not accept the condition, explaining to Pharaoh, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. This response from the Egyptians was either uh, because the Egyptians detested shepherds as a profession, which was true, or the Israelites would sacrifice some animals they considered sacred, like calves or oxen. Either way, they feared a violent response. Pharaoh didn't disagree, so he must have recognized it as a real possibility. Although they are enslaved by Pharaoh, they must obey the Lord. Pharaoh repositions, tells his third lie, and sets another condition. They can go into the wilderness outside of Egypt to sacrifice to God, but they must not go very far. This was contrary to God's demand that they go three days' journey into the wilderness. But Moses doesn't protest at this point. Perhaps he didn't believe it would be sincere it to be sincere anyway. Then Pharaoh asked Moses to pray for him, specifically that he would be released from this plague of flies. Moses agrees, but shows he doesn't trust Pharaoh's word. As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again, by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses leaves Pharaoh and prays, and the Lord did as he asked. The reversal of this plague was thorough. Not a fly remained. That is astounding when you think how in normal circumstances you'd be sweeping up flies for weeks afterward. But God could account for each fly. If you were in Egypt on the following day, you wouldn't believe there had ever been a swarm of flies because there was no evidence left. But, as expected, once the crisis was passed, Pharaoh hardened his heart and reneged on his promise to let the people go. This shows his attitude and his action. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads do we find in this chapter? Moses' prayers were answered. Jesus' prayers were also answered. Pharaoh seemed to have a change of heart, but it was just to avoid punishment. Some people can seem to be repentant, but it is just to avoid punishment, because they think they can fool God. Keep listening for Exodus chapter 9. May God bless the study of his word.